Good morning, everybody. Uh, we are continuing our series called From True to Real, and we're talking about how do we take uh, the truth of the scriptures and God's command for our life, and how do we actually put it uh, into practice? And uh, we've been talking about that, that idea of taking knowledge that we understand in our head and moving it to our heart in a way that it really flows into action. And that's what the Christian life is. It, it flows out of our knowledge, but it also shows up in our life. And both of those um, go together. And in this series, we're working through the book of First uh, John, written by John, the disciple of Christ, an apostle. And uh, we're going to continue in that. But what I want to do is just highlight a, another illustration of what uh, true and real is in our life. And so if you see uh, this sign, uh, this picture here, if you see that in your life, and you know, that's like maybe a mountain road, maybe you've driven on that, or maybe you haven't. When you see that sign, what speed limit do you have in your head? Faster? Anyone thinking like, I'm going to go 25? Not usually, right? Normally, if it's like 40, you're at least going 45, maybe 50. If you know the road, you're like, I could push it to 60. For all of you who have nodded, we have policemen who are actually watching right now, and they're taking note of your... No, just kidding. But you see a, you, you see a sign like that, and speed limits, they're, they're actually law, right? Like, it's law. You, you either abide by it or you, or you don't. But normally, especially if I'm on the freeway, it's like if that's the speed limit, there's normally like, well, you at least bump it up like five miles an hour. You go 75. If it's a long distance, you go 78 and you set the cruise control, right? But do you know when a speed limit becomes real is when you see this next image? Now, all of a sudden, 40 means 40. And have you ever noticed on a road, it's like the dead giveaway that there's a policeman with a radar because everyone all of a sudden puts on the brakes. Why? Because there's a speed limit. But what's the difference between just coasting right through it and not obeying the law? It's, it's that there's somebody, there's somebody watching. So at that moment, the speed limit becomes real because now you know that somebody's actually holding you to it. Well, in our life, as it relates to the Christian life, many times we can see following God like a speed limit sign. Like maybe it's a su suggestion. Maybe we can aim for it. But what's different in this instance is we don't have a God who just looks to just get us into trouble. He's pointing the radar gun and just ready to zap us. Uh, we actually have a God who wants to lead us in this life. But his ways are still true and they are real. And we either abide by them or we don't. And in this series, we're digging into 1 John, really taking the scriptures and having a picture of what does it mean to actually live uh, the Christian life? What are the things that we need to emphasize? What are the things that we need to focus on? And so far in this series, we've looked at uh, the, the, the importance of knowing Christ, fully God and fully man, and how following Christ allows us to connect and experience fellowship with God. Last week, we talked about the importance of battling sin and coming out of the darkness that we can experience, the dungeon of being enslaved to sin and experiencing freedom in Christ in the light. And today, I wanna continue Work, working through 1 John, looking at what does it mean to actually be a Christian, to define what it means to be a Christ follower. Now, Christian is probably one of the most overused words that we find uh, in the world. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. In a lot of other countries, if you're an American, you're considered a Christian because they have this kind of vague concept of like people in America are Christians. But what does that mean? Well, in the scriptures, it's actually very specific. There's, there's certain places that you you go and do, and, and there's a life that you live, and it, it follows a path. And the scriptures are really 
given to us so that we, we can follow in the ways of God through Christ. and We can live like him. And I want to just highlight a little bit of the authorship of uh, John because I think his, his account is so important for us because of the role that he played in seeing Jesus up close and personal. Uh, John, for instance, he, he actually stood at the foot of the cross uh, when, when Jesus was crucified. He was there. He saw it happen. It was a real event. Jesus entrusted his mother Mary to, to John's care. In Matthew, John's also described as the disciple that Jesus loved, the beloved disciple. John also witnessed the empty tomb with Peter on that first Easter morning. So not only did he see him crucified, he saw him put in the tomb, and then he was there three days later, and it was empty. John saw that. He also ate breakfast after Jesus had resurrected from the dead. He ate breakfast with Jesus and other disciples and sat and talked, listened to Jesus give his really last account before he ascended back into heaven. So John has seen firsthand who Christ is. He knew him personally. But for us in our day, in our age, it can look like there's a disconnect. Christ in history that we don't connect with. And so John really writes all of the words of the scripture and all of the Bible in itself is to, to really, how do we take the truth of that event that happened and how is it real for us today? And so that's what John is really trying to do in, in the book of 1 John is, is really to find, like, if you're a follower of Christ, you want to follow him and you want to give your life to him, th- these are the things and these are the, the decisions. And so again, we're going to define uh, Christianity. But themes of 1 John, just to recap, it's, it's really a focus on what, what is true doctrine and belief. Like, how do you know you're actually following the God of the Bible and you can know his character and, and you can live his ways? And so it's very defining uh, faith. And then there's also a definition and defining of what real obedience looks like. How do you actually follow? And there's real devotion. How do you know that you're serious about following Christ? And so John just writes repeatedly these ways that you can know. And so this book is, is actually very practical. And so our role is to understand and then put that into practice ourselves. And so what I want to do is I want to start by reading the majority of chapter 2 of 1 John. And we've worked through chapter 1. And I'm going to pick up in verse 3. And so I'm going to read a big portion of the passage of chapter 2, and then I'll, I'll, I'll break it down. So it starts in verse 3. And by this, we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And in verse 7, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Verse 9, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And I want to jump to verse 15. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. 
and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, John actually is giving some categories that are pretty black and white. And that's really the way John writes. He's very direct. He jumps right to the point. And he wants us to have no mistake. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of go back and break down each section and draw out the categories that that John uh, presents. And so the first, if you're wondering what it means to be a Christian, the first is this, real Christians change uh, from the inside out. Real Christians change from the inside out. Verse three, and this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So verse three, I want you to see the connection. There's always a connection between these two words and you see it repeatedly in 1 John. Know and keep. That's really what true and real is. Know, understanding, know what God's word says and to keep it. Now that word keep means to guard, literally to guard, to keep close. Like you, you pay close attention to it. You keep it in front of you but it really literally means to to obey. You keep it close so that you're actually doing what it says. And that connection is really what true and real is. It's like we can know in our head, but we keep when we put it into action. And real Christians change from the inside out. The the, the point is, if you wanna know how serious you are about certain aspects of your faith, look at your life. And your life will show you how serious your faith is. The proof is in the pudding. Do they still say that? They do now. But it's, it's in the pudding. I don't really know what that means, but I really like the way it sounds. But the idea is that there's something that you can actually see and draw implications from. Now, John also saw the teachings of Jesus, and Jesus continued to battle even the religious leaders of his day And what did they focus on? They focused on the outward appearance. They focused on appearing like they had it all together by what they said, by what they did. It was focused on an outward righteousness. And so what John is saying is actually a real Christian isn't doing it for show. The the outflow of your life is from this inward work that God is doing in your heart. There's always a change in your heart. You're beginning to change your direction, your values, your perspective. When that changes, you change. Now, we all could fake it for a period of time, but what John is saying is, listen, we all come to a point where we have to decide, do I know and do I do? And the deepness of what I know is found out in the life that I live. So real Christians change from the inside out. So that's the the big category. Uh, The second is this, real Christians take God's word uh, seriously. And John continues the thought in verse four. He says, whoever says, I know him, again, my belief, but does not keep his commandments. What does John say? He is a what? Thank you. He is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Now, when you read this right now, doesn't that kind of feel like, well, John, that was kind of insensitive. That hurt my feelings. He just called me a liar. Who does he think he is? And the idea is, well, it's actually somebody who's obeying, again, keeping the commandments. If you're obeying, again, your life is the proof of what you believe, of what's true. Now, maybe an illustration would help. If I came up to you and said, you know what, guys, I love being a pastor, but a pursuit that I've recently come to love 
is bodybuilding, and I'm a champion bodybuilder. The proof is not in the pudding. Maybe I've eaten too much pudding, right? That, that would be absurd. I'm not in danger of anyone saying, wow, Alex, you need to work out less, right? It'd be absurd. I'm not a champion bodybuilder. I look at weights and I get sore, right? But the same way what John is saying is if you make all these claims of what's important to you, but your life does not reflect that, there's a disconnect. And that disconnect is deception. So John says, you're actually not, you're not even telling the truth. It'd be the same in my relationship with my wife. If I claim that I love her, but I never serve her, I never help her, I never look out for her interests, do I really love her? Really, that, that, that proof is in, is in the action. So real Christians, they take God's word seriously. They, they know and they keep and, and they obey. And John gives like three main implications, and I want to just go through these briefly. The first is taking God's word seriously means that you, you aim in your life as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, to understand God's word, to understand it. The thing with understanding God's word, though, again, is you can't understand something that you don't know. And so you do need to spend time knowing God's word, getting it into your life, scheduling time in your life on your own time where you can read God's word for yourself. I think some of what's happened in our church today is that we think we can come, and I'm, I'm a pastor speaking this, we can come and we can listen to somebody once a week tell us about the word of God, and we think that's enough for us to keep God's word to live it out. But we don't. Because it's not enough for somebody to tell us and just learn. The Christian life is not lived in a classroom. It's lived in the lab of life and the choices that you make. And one of the things that we have to continually do is, is look at God's word, read it, and understand it so that we can live it out in our life. And verse 5 says, but, but whoever keeps his word, again, see that, that word keeps, in him truly the love of God is what? Perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Again, keeping. It's the knowing, but then it's the keeping. And then that word perfected, uh, accomplished, complete, it becomes real. If you want something to become real in your life, you have to experience it. And one of the ways that you experience God's word becoming real in your life is you learn to live it out. And as you live it out and you see God come through, you now have this, this foundation. Now, the word of God is secure whether you apply it or not. But if you don't apply it, you don't know that. You have to learn it for yourself. Recently, I was reading in the book of Judges in the Old Testament, and I was reading the story of Gideon. And Gideon was gaining uh, success, and people were following him, and he, he gained this army of 32,000 troops. And God was just giving him just momentum to just accomplish the commands and the mission that God had given him. And God comes to Gideon and he says, you know what, your troop is too big. And why, why would he say that? If you want victory in battle, it's like you've got to gain as many troops as you can. And God says, it's too big because in your victories, you will now have more confidence in yourself and you won't think it's me you'll think it's your 32,000 troops. And so God gives Gideon a process of 
really lessening and diminishing his army. It doesn't make any sense. Not from our standpoint, but from God's standpoint, it does. Because God's concerned with, do we depend on him and realize he will do it? And so Gideon begins to thin out the troops through a process, and it goes from 32,000 to 300. Now, I don't, I'm not the greatest math guy, like percentage. I know that there's some of you like, oh, 32,000, but I don't know what that is that's a significant loss. From 32,000 to 300, I'm thinking that's not the army I want to lead. I want the 32,000. Well, why would God do that? Because he wanted Gideon to depend on him, not his resources, not others, but God alone. And so I read that just recently. You know what? God, God spoke to me through that, through my own life. And here's something that happened thousands of years ago to somebody I've never met in a situation I'll never know. But in that moment, God said, you know what? I'm still continuing to do that in your life, to move you past depending on yourself and depending on me. Like God really spoke to me. I don't know if you've ever had that, but it's like that's part of the understanding God's word. You take the scriptures that's written in real time in the past, you take the principle and then you apply it to your life. You have to learn how to do that, but God will speak. It's living, it's active, it cuts to our heart. And so I, I was really like comforted by that. Like, God, help me to continue to depend on you. If this is the Christian life, this is real. I need to depend on you and not my own resources, my own power. And so later that day, I went to lunch with another pastor and we sat down and you know, we started greeting and how are you doing and good, and how are you doing? And he's like, you know what? I was reading this morning in Judges about Gideon's life. And he began to talk about the diminishing troop that God had led him through to get to 300. And I just looked at him and I said, no way. I read that same exact thing. Now, I'm saying this to all of you, like, is that just what a pastor's do? You just go eat lunch and you talk about the Bible all day, right? Like, but in this moment, it was like God then continued, like, God, Alex, I want you to pay attention. I'm bringing it up again. And this person that you're meeting with read the exact same thing and is drawing some implications. And we began to talk about that. And even that was like part of just this understanding God's word. He spoke to me, and then he spoke through this person who had read the same exact thing that day. That's what it means to follow Jesus, is in the moment that we try to understand, he speaks. And we have to actually live it out. That's what it means to understand his word. The second implication of taking God's word seriously is to live as Jesus did. Now, do you ever hear a statement like that, and it just seems so like far-fetched and profound? Like, you know what? Be a Christian, just be like Jesus. It's like, oh, okay, great. Well, what, what does that mean? Well, John defines it, verse six. Whoever says he abides in him, Christ, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, walking here is not literal, like talking about you just have to go where Jesus walked. Like, what you have to do is we all have to move. We have to go to Jerusalem. We have to go to the Sea of Galilee. Like, we can't walk, like, it's not literal. It's the manner of life, the direction. And Jesus did two things repeatedly in his life. He did good, and he refused evil. He did those two things again and again and again. So the question is, can I live as Jesus did and do good in my life? Well, the question then goes further. Are there opportunities where God has me, where there's an opportunity where I can actually bring good, maybe even into a bad situation? Or can I do good even when it's, you know, I have to deny maybe what I want 
And so in, in my own life, oftentimes, this shows up in just parenting my kids. One of my kids asks me to do something, and it's an opportunity for me to choose to do good for them. But do you know I live like Jesus when I choose to do that? Like, I'll sacrifice maybe sitting on the couch, which I just want to do because it's been a long day, but I'll do good for you because that's what Jesus always did. You know, your neighbor's trash can that's out for a couple days, you're like, man, it'd be nice if they picked it up. Part of how you do good is you could go and pull it in for them. You could do good. There's always opportunities to do good. And then the second part of refusing evil, it's I could give in to this temptation, I could give in to this urge, but, but I don't want to because that's not what Jesus did. And as I give in to evil and I go into the darkness, I, I don't have more clarity, I have less. So I may have gotten what I've wanted, but it's nothing of what I need. And so if you wanna learn to live like Jesus, you have to read his word, and then you begin not perfection, but progress. Jesus was perfect, we can never be perfect. But we can move towards this progress where he's just, again, changing us from the inside out. And oftentimes, it happens in very small decisions, ways where I can sacrifice myself on behalf of others. Take him as his word, do what he says in a moment, of service or sacrifice. In the next few verses, John further describes why taking his word seriously is a matter of reality. And in verse eight, the second part, he describes, again, darkness, which was a theme of last week, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. This is a promise of we have been given Jesus and what the gospels say is the people were living in a great darkness and there appeared a great light and that's Jesus. He came and he lived and he died for our sin and we've all been in darkness and without Christ, we're in darkness. There's no clarity, there's no hope, but in Christ, the light has come. And so when we live as Jesus lived, we embrace this light and we look for opportunities to, to share this light with others, to be that light, not only of good and refusing evil, but realizing that we have an opportunity in every interaction that we have to be a part of what Jesus wants to do in our day, in our time, in our community, in our cities, in our families, under our roof, in our workplaces. It's already shining. We have a morality, we have a, a way forward because of Christ. So we can understand his word. We can live as Jesus lived. And then John takes it a step further. First, he's been describing a Christian by our relationship with God. We allow him to change us from the inside out. We, we understand God's word. We get time with his word. We begin to live it out, put it into practice. We do what Jesus does. We, we obey him. We take the step forward. We take that next step, whatever that is. And so it's, it's this kind of vertical, like this is your relationship with God. But then John defines it, this is not a Jesus and me Christianity. Like, it's not just you and him. There's this part of, of your relationships with others. And this is the third aspect of just the engagement in the local church community, how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is verses 9 and 11. It says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him, there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So you think of the progress that we want to make and the clarity. And if we could know God's will, we could move forward. If we could get traction, 
But notice what John does here. He ties that clarity and moving forward to our relationships with others, to how we participate in uh, the local church. And for me, if I look back on my life of like the significant events where my Christianity has become real, a lot of times it's because of what people have done that I've seen lived out in their own life. Hard choices, battling tremendous hardship and enduring in the hope of Christ. As I see people serve each other in this church, love each other, sacrifice, take initiative, that really calls me forward. When my wife and I have faced hard things in our own life, seeing people that have come and rallied and helped, stepped in the gap, my faith becomes more real. Because what I look at is these people that are making choices and they're sacrificing. And again, I'm looking at their life and seeing what would fuel that? And what fuels it is a love for Christ, a love for what he wants to build in the community. It, it calls me forward. It challenges me. It reminds me of the difficulties that we face, but how God uses the community to help us. But notice the contrast. If you're not engaging in the church, if you're not serving and loving and sacrificing, look at the end of that passage. You will stumble. Now that is a true, but very often not real statement. As Americans, we're very independent and very individualistic. We kind of stick to our own world on our own terms. And really, we don't want people to be involved. It's very easy for us because maybe we've been burned. We kind of keep people at a distance. But what John is describing is there's a light that's not tied to our culture, and there's a light that's not tied to our experiences, and there's a light that's not tied to us at all. It's the light of Christ. And through his church, all around the world, and through his church here at Ridgeview, he wants that light to shine, and it shines as we love each other. Not in word alone, but in action. A love that, that will actually cost us. And that leads to the next section. So we can take God's word seriously. We understand him and his word. We, we live as Jesus lived. We engage and serve in the church community. This is why when we just, we're talking about team up and that's happening next week. Do you know, we're not just wanting people to serve our church because it helps us. Although we need people to serve. We know that your faith will grow if you do it. And so we actually have a role as a church. If we want people to, to grow, we have to help them do those things. And that's why service is so important. It's not self-seeking, but it's actually something we have to do together. We have to be committed to it because it has to be real because of what Christ has said. And then the last thing John talks about is that re real Christians love what God loves uh, verses 15 and 16, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. What John is doing is describing a battle. That's probably, if, if you want to define part of the Christian life, everything we've talked about so far in the scriptures. But really, to love what Christ loved 
what John is describing here is that the Christian life, if you really want to know what the Christian life is, it's a battle. We've talked about this before. The Christian life is not a cruise ship. It's a what? Battleship. That sounds great until you're being fired at. And then it's like, man, a cruise ship sounds really great. What John is saying is, listen, you have a mission. You don't want to be on a cruise. You won't get to where you need to go. If you have a mission, you need to be on a battleship because you can be protected there, and then you can move forward. This is what John is describing. And the battle comes up in three categories. The first is the desires of the flesh. This is a desire oftentimes for things that we don't have but we want. Uh, In other translations, this word desires is called the lust, the lust of the flesh. It's the idea of cravings. You ever just want something so bad you, you crave it? Since I'm not a champion bodybuilder, a lot of times those cravings for me are like food. Do you ever just want something so bad, you know, it's like 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m.? Any late-night eaters out there, don't identify yourself, but just give me a wink with your left eye. But um, yeah, there's just sometimes you're like, you know you're not supposed to eat, you shouldn't eat that, but there's like, oh, man, I just want it. And then the more you, you do it, the more you crave it. I never crave broccoli when I'm eating donuts. This is like self-confession time, guys. Okay, I'm done. But you guys know what I'm saying. It's just this, this desire of the flesh. It's like a craving that shows up in, in things that, that we want. And it could be comfort, it could be convenience, it could be wealth, it could be a specific thing that we just lust after. And it's a battle. But we have help through the Holy Spirit. And that's why it says, do not walk in the flesh, but walk in the Spirit. And so if you walk in the flesh and you give in to that craving, you, you confess it, God, I sinned, will you forgive me? And you get back in the Spirit, get back in the light. And then John describes the desires or the, the lust of the eyes. And the difference between the flesh and the eyes here is the origination of the desire. Uh, The lust of the flesh is like within us, this craving that we have. And the eyes is like a source that we have outside of us. Like we we see something. And you ever just seen somebody in your life that gets something? Like maybe it's like, you know, the new phone, the new car, and all of a sudden your car's just looking a little older. You ever had that? Just like, man, there's something that I saw that now I didn't know I wanted until I saw it. And we get drawn to those things. And this just happens oftentimes instantaneously in what we see. There's these cravings. There's these battles. There's the flesh and the lust of our eyes. And then John describes the final is the, the pride of life. Now this, I was reading a commentary to describe this. this like, it's like this assumption of arrogance. The pride of life is really this. I should be in a position or in a place where I'm not. And I'm frustrated and angry at God because of that. The pride of life is thinking you should be somewhere you're not, and you blame God for that. We don't talk about that a lot, but sometimes some of the biggest disappointments we have God is based on expectations that we think he has not met. And the pride of life is just things that we think we deserve. Now, speaking of culture, there's many things in our culture we think we deserve. I've told you somewhat of our car troubles recently. And we had three cars and then we're we're down to two. Do you know how many times I'm like, how does anybody do it with two cars? 
that crazy? It's like we got used to that, and it was nice. And there's so many things in life, like we, we get used to just these certain rhythms and think, things that we think we deserve. And then sometimes those things get taken away. It's like, how do you do it? And there's people in the world that don't have one car. And it's this idea of like just the assumption of what we think we should receive or what we deserve. And so John is saying, listen, real Christian, all these things are true. You understand. You grow in your knowledge. You live it out. You live as Jesus lived. You engage in the church. You participate. And then finally, he says, and you know what? You battle. And you constantly have to aim your life to love what he loves. And to love what he loves means you have to say no to the things that he does not love. The sin, the pursuits of people. You know how much people invest in just being cool, even as adults? The appearance of cool, the appearance of having it together. Certain resumes that we think we should have for our life, for meaning, for what counts, for success, whatever you define it. The Christian is, is you do not measure your life by your pursuits, by your materials, and by your successes. You measure your life by your obedience to the ways of the true light, Jesus Christ. That's the measure of life. And that means if you're measuring your life through Jesus, your life will never measure up to the ways of the world. And you have to kill that desire. And if you don't, you will always be pulled. And so I want to encourage some of you. You've been coming around Ridgeview for a while. And maybe you're investigating what it means to follow Jesus. But you need to come to a point in your life where you decide, I'm no longer going to be on the fence. And I'm going to follow him. And I'm going to give my life to him. And I'm going to choose to love what he loves. If you've never decided to become a Christian, you can make that decision today. And that would be the most important decision you will make in your life. To give your life to him. Surrender. I want to live as he lived. I want to love what he loves. I want to make my life count for what he made me for. And when you do that, your life will change and he will use you to make an impact on others. That's why we celebrate baptism. It's the picture of, I was in darkness and I died to that and I'm raised again to the light of Christ and I'm washed clean. So if you never committed your life to Christ or you've never been baptized, take that next step. It's the most important decision you can make to obey him. I encourage you to do that. And then John ends with a promise that I want to end with today, verse 17. In the context of the battle, he gives us a reminder. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The reason you battle is because the desires of this world, of the flesh, of our eyes, and the pride of life, they will not last the foundation is sand. It will shift and it will crumble. But the foundation of God's will goes on forever. So if you live your life for him now, you're a part of the light that goes on forever. Your life goes into eternity. And you're living a life that counts right now. And God will use you in ways you, you can't imagine. Now, it's not as a superhero because that would be the pride of life. Oftentimes, it's when nobody will notice, he will use you. So I want to just end with just a time of reflection. These are just some questions you can ask yourself. Because I think what, what John is doing is like, listen, this is black and white. I'm going to shoot straight with you. John wants us to know 
But we have to think, we have to reflect. And it's hard in our day, I think, to reflect. We don't have a lot of times of reflection. Even in church, like you come and then you go. And are you busy this afternoon? Probably. Are you busy tomorrow? Yeah. You're already thinking of next week? There's all sorts of stuff we have to do. But sometimes you read God's word and it's like, man, we have to actually pause. Think about these things. Because if it's true and real, what does that mean? And so here's just some questions for you, just for your own reflection. You'll see them up here. Do I take God's word seriously? Do I read the Bible regularly? Do I aim to understand it and then apply it to my life? We're not gonna separate the group into those that do and those that don't, but it's personal for you. Like, does this show up in your schedule? Second question. Am I involved in Ridgeview's community? Do I take initiative and look for ways to serve? Think about that. And then the last. Do I love what God loves? How does that reflect my choices? True and real. So an illustration I have is if someone didn't know you and this past week they wanted to look at your life and they looked at your schedule, they looked at your choices, they looked at what you did with your time, they looked at what you did with your your money, they looked at what you talked about, what you praised, what you didn't, what was important and what was not. All your yeses, all your noes. If they were to look at your life, would the evidence of your life be that you follow Jesus? That's the question. Is it true and is it real? And I don't give this to you to, to shame or guilt you, but man is God's word designed to cut us to the heart so that we change. So if you answered like no to any of these you could take a step forward. That's why we exist as a church. How do we take the next step? Whether it's beginning to get God's word into my life, I need to read that, I need to understand it. If I don't know how, I can reach out for help. That's why we have the next step table. We want you to develop your life and grow. I need to serve, and I'm not. We can help you with that. Whatever it is, that's why we exist as a church, to do this together. And so just reflect on this. And then finally, the, the, the next step that you can take kind of in the context of that reflection is, Read God's word for yourself this week. And I encourage you to read 1 John 2, which we've covered today, but ask God to speak to you personally, not through me or not through anyone else, but speak to you. And so just spend some time reading that. If you don't have a Bible, we have them back there, but also on the listening guide, all the, the verses that we've covered today are on the front page. So you could just take that with you and ask, for, you know, reflect and chew on that yourself. So I encourage you I encourage you to do that. I'm gonna wrap up. We're gonna receive our offering in a moment. We're gonna sing again. But so glad you've joined us. If I've not met you before, I'd love to meet you after the service. I'll be by the the next step table. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I, I just ask that God, we will take your word seriously. And if there's anyone here that that's not yet decided to follow you, that they'll make a decision to do that today. If there's somebody that's not been baptized, they'll take that step of obedience once they've followed you. And God, I just pray for all of us here that we will take you at your word and we will put it into practice. Your word gives us the life that we need. We can actually chew on it and get sustenance and real meaning. So God, will you help us this this week for that to become not only true, but real to us. And that we may have an experience of truth and action 
and be changed for it. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.